Hello, my name's John Busby. I play in a band called Halfway. We uh, have been around about 20 years, touring up and down the east coast of Australia. And we've made a podcast to uh, use our time in isolation. And in it we go through each of our records, we have six in total, just to give the background and stories as to how and why we did them. At the moment we're up to Remember the River, our second record. And this is actually part two, the first part was an interview with Nick Barker, a good friend who we met around the same time. And in this second part we're just going to go through the songs themselves and the recording process in a little bit more detail. And we're going to talk to the great Rob Younger, who co-produced the album. So when I think about Remember the River, the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that we actually had a recording budget. Laughing Outlaws, Stuart Coop's label, came to the party and gave us a decent budget. And that may seem like a bit of an everyday thing for bands, but for us at the time it was new. We uh, had paid for the first record ourselves, uh, for the recording, and we just had a licensing deal for that record. So with the budget we put together a bit of a plan. And we'd sort of always thought that it'd be great to make a record with Wayne Connolly and Rob Younger producing and engineering. Now Wayne and Rob had worked together on Died Pretty's Sold album and Rob had done a lot of great production through the uh, 80s and 90s with a lot of the Citadel Records bands and just indie rock bands. We were just big fans really. As a kid I used to watch Radio Birdman on TV on the ABC. It was a repeat of them playing live at a, like a hall was on all the time, or quite a bit, on Rage and Rock Arena, and um, yeah, Rob would just be there, blazing away, as fearless. It was a great introduction to punk rock, it was, it was equal parts terror and malady, it was great. I was a kid of the 80s, so a lot of punk rock sort of left me a little cold. I was looking for malady, as well as power, which is why I guess I got into Radio Birdman, Hooskadoo, The Saints, Ramones replacements, that kind of punk rock. More than say hardcore or the British fashion-based punk rock. At least that's how I worked it out when I was uh, 16. And I guess on face value it seems like a bit of an odd combination, Halfway and Rob Younger from the Birdman, but to me it always made sense. Particularly after all of his work with Died Pretty, I I just love that stuff. Um, I mean watching Ron Pino singing Winterland on Rock Arena in 1988 in Rocky. I mean, if that's not going to make you want to join a band, what is? Yeah, love those records. So on we went. We had a budget. We had Rob Younger. We had Wayne Connolly on the second halfway record. And uh, when I think back about it now, it still makes me smile because it was just a dream come true, really. And the thing that made it better was the studio we chose. Rocking Horse Studios up in the Byron Bay hinterland. It's a nice place, and the interesting thing with that was, because we're all away from home, Rob and Wayne included, it was a place that had accommodation, had a big house beside a studio out in the beautiful countryside there in the hinterland. So it was a unique experience. It was halfway members, plus Rob and Wayne, making a record together and uh, all living together for the week. It was like the monkey's house, you know, pretty good. So I guess before we get too far into the recording, I'll I'll have a quick run through the songs. Um, This record was different to quite a few of the others in that a whole bunch of us brought songs in. It was really great. So straight off the bat, Chris Dale brought in four strong songs. Dearest Mother, The Ballad of Liza Brown, 
Billy Joe and the Bully Man and Big Wave. Four great songs straight up. And Ben Johnson brought in Chance and River Roads, which was the first single, which Manny started and Chris finished, and they shared the main vocal on it. And Noel Fitzpatrick brought in uh, Wear Me Out, which he started and I kind of finished and sang. Yeah, it was cool having everyone bring in songs. It was different for us. As it was usually Chris Dale and myself writing the majority of the songs together. But it became a pretty regular occurrence that that Ben Johnson would bring a song or two in for each record and they were always really strong. And River Roads is no exception. I thought it was a killer song then and I still do. And looking at my songs, um, in the gap between the first record and the second I had a melanoma, a little bit of a health scare, or just before we went on tour uh, for the first record. That was a bit alarming and I um, I guess that's what drove me to write a couple of pretty introspective songs, which I mentioned in the first podcast. Sherry Ann and Dean and the Fitzroy. And those two are both about two people who passed away. One was a friend of mine from school, and the other was my little sister, Sherry. So, uh, yeah, after, the, after it all happened, that's why I thought I'd probably write those two songs. I'm not really sure. They were just there, ready to be written, probably. And the other ones I did were Left for Luck, which is a kind of drinking song set in Rockhampton in the line of six pack or something like that, which we did on the first record. And then I also did Factory Floor, which is the first one that I'd written about working. It was kind of based around um, a big sign factory I worked at for about 13 years called Gadsden Signs. It's a good place. And I was kind of using my work, my experience working and uh, comparing it to my dad's who'd spent his life on roads and operating machinery. Um, so that was the first time I'd used my dad in a song, so I think. So yeah, the personal ones were just flying out, kind of only realising it as I, as I look through it now. Yeah, and there's also Edge of the Pier, but I'll get to that one later. And the other song I did was Favour for a Friend, which has a lot of Rockhampton themes as well, places and bars and stuff. It's about a friend of my dad's. We draw on similar things again. We did a little bit of... I'm not sure that we did it purposely on this record, but we certainly did later, where we'd try to link the songs together by using similar characters and places. We already had the themes, but just trying to give them more of a common thread, just to make them more interesting, to us mainly. I mean, later on we'd just write whole albums in one huge hit and sing the hell out of the, the whole piece, but at this stage where we're all writing, we were doing just little things where we were mentioning similar things, like I know in River Roads, Benny mentions, oh, well, we obviously had the river in there and I had the Fitzroy, you know, we were sort of tagging these things where, you know, Benny was talking about Brisbane, but I was talking about Rockhampton, or, you know, we were just, there were just little nuances and subtle things through the songs that ran through all of them. And, and the same would often happen with Chris's songs. He'd reference similar places or people and we'd use the little tags to bring them all together. From the start, we wanted these records to work as a piece, as one little world. That was the aim. Looking back, it's pretty cool, really. I liked it. I mean, if we don't do it, who's going to? And as time went on, we developed it more, kind of fine-tuned it, as each album sort of gained momentum. So before we get to the studio, I just think I might start with the song that um, we really framed the whole record around, which is River Roads. 
Now, like I said before, Benny came in with this song, Three Quarters Done, and I, I just thought it was a classic the moment I heard it. And after having Patience back on the radio, I just thought, oh, this is perfect. It takes the pressure off Chris and myself trying to write a single. I mean, that was something that I didn't concern myself with before or after, but at the time, if I'm honest, after Patience back, I felt like we needed another single. I had Dean and the Fitzroy, but to me, River Rose was just, it was just there. It had all the elements, great pop song, great rock song. It was uh, harmonies, uh, dual lead vocals. Chris Dale came in and did a great main uh, with Benny, sort of sharing lines. It just was everything I like about indie rock and rock music. And it had cool folk and roots elements as well. I mean, in the end, we took River Roads to Radio Ends. Uh, Dean and the Fitzroy to radio and both sank but um, I'm still shocked that uh, River Roads didn't get there but did it matter in the long run? Nah, not at all uh, it was a good lesson for me really just to focus on the albums and fucking forget about who was going to play it but I think it was as near to a single as we were ever going to have and Benny, yeah, he just hit it right out of the park and the song was also full of great imagery and stuff I know he has a line in there about passing a sign where red smoke rises and that was to do with the haze that rises over the 4X brewery. That's pretty cool because he lives in Orkinflower just near the brewery there in Milton in Brisbane. The song's also a great example of Noel Fitzpatrick's killer pedal steel playing. It's like less is more and song serving. It's brilliant. And there's a great line right at the start where Benny says, drive all night. And Noel responds with his single note line that sounds just like a truck going past in the middle of the night. And it's not a rehearsed thing or a talked about thing, it's just instinct. It's brilliant. Okay, so let's have a listen. This is River Roads, first single from Remember the River. I don't believe in a far you and I will drive all
Okay, so let's start with the recording, and after that, I'll play the chat I had with Rob Younger earlier this week. So we met up with Rob and Wayne in Brisbane, and then uh, made a little road trip for a couple hours down to Byron. And the Byron setup, as I mentioned earlier, was pretty cool. It's a big house. And uh, no sooner than we got to the studio, we realised that the studio itself wasn't big enough for the band to play live. So we had to revert to a bit of a plan B. Now directly beside the studio itself was a big house, which was everybody's accommodation for the week. So Wang came up with the idea to run a multi-core from the studio, the standalone studio outside, to the house, and the band would set up all throughout the house, you know, in the bedrooms, in the big main master room. It was a huge timber mansion, really. So there was plenty of space and it sounded great. And that was the plan. So the result of that change in plan meant that we had a bit of downtime. So we just used it to hang out, chat to Rob, and play a bit of touch footy, as we'll mention in the interview. And that uh, yeah, was a good time. No stress, we were just, we were pretty confident that we'd get it down in a couple of days anyway. So without going on anymore, here's my chat with Rob Younger that I recorded earlier in the week. Now it is a phone conversation, so please forgive the audio. I talked to Rob about making the record, but also about music in general, Rodeo Birdman, of course, what got him into music, that kind of thing. I mean, it would seem like a waste not to talk to him about music in general. And then we loop back to making Remember the River back in 2005. Gotta say, it was really great to talk to him again. It's been a while. Okay, so here we go. Punk rock icon and music producer, Rob Younger. Hi Rob, before we start on the record, what was it that got you into music? I started listening, got interested in music just listening to the radio when I was a little kid. You know, um, so this was going way, way back. That would be the 50s. So, you know, I, and um, so I started to notice things like, oh, God knows what, mostly it was ballad singers and so forth in those days. But I really de you know, developed a, uh, a real liking for singers like Gene Pitney and Del Shannon and yeah. you know, this, sort of, this sort of business, which I still do, actually. I, I think do I get too. a bit more of a kick out of listening to my old singles. By those sort of people, you know, and PJ Proby and Lou Christie and all this, than I than, than anything else almost. It's it's either like these little two and a half minute flower pots of you know, you know, cause rock really rock and roll stuff. I mean, by the time I was um, twelve, I think that's when I first heard or thirteen. That's when I first heard you know, twelve. I first heard the Beatles and so forth. It was all over after that, as as it was for so many people, including some of it, some of our mutual. Favorites like the birds and all that sort Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely, never have done anything. Never have done anything if they hadn't seen, you know, girls screaming at guys with um, bowl haircuts. They'd never have uh, gone into the studio. Yeah, true. It was quite a thing. I mean, even when I saw yeah stuff of the birds and as a kid in the eighties, it was fantastic. This is <laughs> indeed. I just like pop music and rock and roll, and um, I love the Velvet Underground, for instance. Yeah. One thing I remember from being a kid, Rob, is seeing uh, Radio Birdman on the ABC on Rage playing live. Was it in Adelaide? Was it the real thing? Oh, no, the ABC one. That was the thing about that live stuff in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, oh, yeah. That was getting played on Rage in the early hours, and it was uh, 
Yeah. Earth shatteringly great. Well, the joint was packed. I mean, it was Marriott Drilling and, and Hotel in Adelaide, and there, there was a, about 500 people they told us that couldn't get in. You know, it was yeah. stacked, you know. And um, they had the ABC there, and they gave me two mics to sing through one for the main air and one for the recording. It seemed to lack atmosphere, you know, like, it just didn't feel like you know, all that ideal. But they flogged it, you know, they played it year after year, and yeah. people have always come up and said, you know, how much they enjoyed all of that, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear all that, but, you know, I, I see it. And, I <laughs> and that jacket's pretty good, too, the one with the tiger on the back. I hope you still got that. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. I don't know quite what happened to it. It was um, embroidered. The, the girl I was going out with at the time, she worked for an, some embroidery people in um, yeah, right. Surrey Hills, I think, and she yeah, had it done as a present for me. That's so that was good. I got a bit of mileage out of it. It was always a bit small, a bit undersized, that one. And, I, and it also wasn't really that wasn't that typical of stuff I'd wear. It looked like an attempt, a bit like a biker or something like that. Without, yeah. Without, without the biceps and the tats, so you know. So you helped us with the second record, Remember the River. I guess, uh, well, my first memory anyway, and I don't know, I can remember the studio not being big enough for us and we had to run that multicore yeah, from one room to the other. And, uh, yeah, I had to re- 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 rearrange the house and all that sort of yeah. thing. There was a lot of adapting to, in order to make it comfortable and all of that. Totally. That, was, uh, that, that wasn't hard from my point of view, and probably in Noel Wayne's. Not, you know, I spent so much time in there, but, but you know, considering that the sort of music you have, you know, there's a kind of, I don't want to sound corny about it, but you know, there's a, an intimate, you know, a homey sort of feel about it, but I think that that sort of set up, you know, rather than... The, Cold, pristine, certainly a very ultra modern studio uh, might not have suited. Yeah. But, you know, most music's created in the imagination anyway, as well. I mean, it's not all about, you know, you always hear about people banging on about, oh, we went out to the country, you know, where there was no one around and no shops and no bloody anything, you know. And I think, geez, yeah. it's the last thing I'd want to do. I'd rather record in the middle of a bloody city. And Yeah, I mean, it gave us some downtime, I guess. Uh, we squeezed in some touch footy. I remember that pretty vividly. Yeah, that's right. You guys knew your way around the paddock. That was... <laughs> it became competitive fast. I was always generally okay at Tuts League, but you and I both follow St George. We do. Well, we, I used to. It's not St George anymore, as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's great. The first game I ever saw was... Well, I mean, I saw the third third and reserve grades before the, the first grade game, but it was a 61 grand final, St George and West's. Yeah, okay, wow. And with that, Dad took me to that, 22-0, lovely. So Norm Proven, all those guys? Yeah, 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 yeah Brian Clay, you know. Yeah, right, Popper Clay. Guys near Johnny, Johnny Raper. Wow. George Evans, Elton Rasmussen, probably, Monty Porter. Christ, it was a good team, Ian Walsh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we first got together because we were both on Laughing Outlaw Records, right? Does that sound right? New Christs and Halfway? Yeah, and I think Wayne would have recommended it, recommended the band. Yeah, but for sure. Paul Glover, Paul Glover probably was the one that approached me because uh, 
the new Christ album from around that time was on Laughing Outlaw as well. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So that's probably more to do with that. And, uh, you know, uh, you said it was really great stuff. Uh, I think he gave me a copy of the first record. You know, it wasn't too left of field, really. I mean, it made perhaps more in the country vein, but I'd worked with a couple of groups that, you know, uh, were on the fr- you know, fringes of that sort of area. Yeah. But, um, but I was interested in working, you know, working with music I was pretty sure I was going to like. And, uh, you know, and uh, also learn something from it. You know, it's not, not, not all that outre, you know, to, to get into an area like that. And I was... And I was pleasantly surprised, I mean, because the band knew this stuff, you know, that all the stuff is arranged well, you know, everyone knows their part. Got a lovely drummer with a really nice feel, the takes go down easily, you know, all of that. I mean, it was, you know, I really just had to listen to your band. I, I, I should be honest, it's almost like I took the payment under false pretenses because you had it all together and you got a great engineer taking it down. He was a you know, really good uh, producer in his own right. You know, so it's a it's an awkward feeling sometimes when you collaborate in that way because if you're not contributing too many things, you can sit there and if everything's great, you can say nothing. But you know, now and then you think, well, I should be my stamp should be on this. You know, what I mean? yeah. and it's not not necessarily there. You're just listening to something, you know, and it's going down, and you're enjoying it. And uh, you know, sometimes to try and do too much would be actually interfering not producing so you've got to get the balance right with that yeah but you don't but when you're working with wayne i mean he's, he covers all the bases because he's got a wonderful set of ears and he hears a, you know when i was working with a died pretty uh with him on soul for instance much yeah. you know, a bit later was it i don't know maybe he's engineering he's flicking through a magazine looks like he's not even listening to the tape that they're putting <laughs> down and stuff like that and the thing the song ends and he goes so okay so just that that, uh, that bridge leading into the first chorus, uh, there's a fluff there on the bass, uh, blah, 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 and he rattles off all these bloody things he noticed, I thought he was half asleep. You know, <laughs> and, and, okay, this is this is what I'm working with, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening there with my, with my, my, you know, squinting at the little, you know, the monitors and stuff like that, trying to hear, you know, not relaxing, listen to the music and stuff like that. I kind of rather learned a fair bit from working with Wayne, actually. But see, the thing was for us, or for me in particular, you know, you'd produced all these great records and you'd been involved, some with Wayne, some not. And just even though, you know, your input might have been just a few little things here and there, that's all we needed. And and also the, um, you know, it was only our second record. So to have someone reaffirm your ideas like, you know, oh, we're not completely off fucking course here. Uh, this isn't too hokey this is you know what i mean oh, yes. all that stuff yes, I do, yes. is important I when you're trying to make a record well, I, no, I don't want to under, I don't, uh, no, downplay too much of my um, input into into the record but that's right you know like you you know if you're hearing something you hear something you don't like and certainly you know if something's too hokey or you know it's a bit too there's something naff about it you know yes yeah. Yeah, uh, it's going to draw too much attention to itself because it's, I don't know, too overall, too, some, too something or other. Um, you, you've got to have someone in there that's, um, you know, trying to keep the thread and the, yeah. you know, the general play of the atmosphere makes sure it's, and it, it sounds true yeah. as well. But, you know, the, the thing is with, with, with Halfway is it seemed to have uh, taken on the music, you know. It, it, just, it just comes, it seems to come uh, quite naturally. Actually, it's not like a forced appreciation. You found a few things in a vaguely country vein that you liked, and you're cranking it out like, you know, carelessly, perhaps roughly, like a lot of cow punk or something like that is. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. It was. Yeah. A, it, it actually. It has a devotion to the to the form, and all of that. But it's not cloying. It's like a lot of country music can be, especially when it gets too Americanized. You know. Yeah. You know, yeah. where the accents start to overwhelm. You know, the American accents start to overwhelm the you know, the, the general um, sound of the voices. You know, like they're trying to. Imagining there's somebody else trying to do country music yeah. rather than just having the music come from them because that's what's uh, natural to them. And uh, you, you guys had had that. Uh, it was an easy flow. I noticed from your website that you, I don't know if you still do, but you know you were saying you practice twice a week for six hours at a time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think well, that's that. Any band that I've been in would have found that far too arduous, even though that's a really wonderful thing to be able to do. But you know, this is. It, you go into a studio after with that sort of thing and that sort of empathy for each other. So playing, then you, you, you know, you're going to have a, you know, you're going to have a sound under yourselves. I think it's going to be, yeah. going to be great. So um, yeah, there is that. Yeah. It's definitely a you know a rehearsed thing, but and you know obviously the six hour rehearsals. A lot of that's just it's probably just talking about records, but. Um, that's all right too. Yeah, That's yeah, right. it's a big, it's a big part uh, of it. I think. Is you, you don't sound like you know, you're, as I said, you're not trying to sound like somebody else or anything. You're just getting the, the form down. Uh, you're, you're you're getting the weight of the performance down too. You know, yeah. there's no um, not leaning on things uh, too hard. The emotion the songs comes across uh, because it isn't too forced. And uh, and the and the, that's a really lovely playing all around it. You know, all around. I, I was kind of. I was very happy to, but I was also, I think, lucky to be on the session in a way. So I got to learn something about it, and uh, and, uh, and uh, I got I got a, I got away with it. Being called um, a co-producer, which was sort of a bonus in itself. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, see, because I don't really believe I had much, you know, any real influence on the music per se. I was just, in, you know, um, you know, certainly in terms of style and so forth. You know, I'm making minor comments about details and so forth. I'm not determining direction. And, uh, you know, because often the producers are just there to, you know, get an overview, get a record that's, you know, um, that's cogent and, uh, you know, unto itself, you know? Yeah. The record is, is what it is and the tracks all belong together and that sort of thing. You've got to think about that, but you, you also got to think about the little, the really little things um, that uh, you guys had taken care of all the little things. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Look, it was uh, it was a good time, and when I think of it, I you know obviously the first thing I think about is you and Wayne in that session, and probably mostly the touch football. But um... <laughs> well, it's yeah, I know. Well, touch football is a pretty compelling activity, you know. Well, it's like pretty you can, compelling. You can never tries you scored in the corner, you know that you know, twenty years after the fact. Can't remember. Can't remember an interesting musical suggestion that you made that might have really improved a good song. <laughs> yeah, the highlights reel is mostly uh, you flying down the sideline. That's for sure. It was good. Stacks of bloody good songs on that record. One thing I regret though, you didn't put it out on vinyl. And, and, you know, it was at that old time, you know, where vinyl was still pretty quiet in the in mid-2000s, there still wasn't a lot of vinyl around. CD had taken over and vinyl was about to come back. We did ask the label at the time, but it wasn't really part of the budget. Yeah, that was that was the thinking at the time. It, was, it just wasn't economically viable for hardly anybody. But I always knew and I always maintained that the records would come back. Records and really tight jeans. 
And um, they both came my wife used to say, what are you wearing those bloody things to of all that sort of stuff? And I said, darling, they're going to come back. Everybody will be wearing these, these in another couple of years. And I was right. And, uh, and, and, I was right about, and I was right about bloody records too. Records as well. Yeah, we've had our, all our records out since then. Uh, the four that have come out since have all been on vinyl. But there's been talk of maybe re-releasing uh, that one on vinyl. So we'll see how we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'd be really great. Well, include me in on it. Yeah, totally. Um, I should have dug out my copy of it. There's stacks of songs on here that are really nice. I thought Cherry Ann was nice. Dean and the Fitzroy. I yeah, remember. Dean and the That's Fitzroy. Really yeah. Factory Floor's cool. Favour for a friend. It's lovely. These ballads, you know, that they're one of these stories and so forth. They're lovely. Oh, I'm pleased you liked it, Rob. And I'm pleased you had a good time doing it. You know, it was pretty painless overall, wasn't it? I think. It, it was, you know, that's that's the whole thing. Um, you're well painless because uh, the band was so together and the materials there. You don't have to worry. You just let it, you know, get it down. You could have you could have played it badly and, <laughs> and recorded it with shit sound, and it still made a pretty good record because the con because the contents there, you know. Well, because I mean, the first thing is, of course, the quality of the songs nonetheless and, 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 a, and a projection of atmosphere and style you know that makes people want to listen to you and you know, naturally of course the music's got to kick in and get you hooked yeah totally but, um, but uh, yeah uh, you guys have got amazing reviews yeah we've um, we wish they'd translate into um, some money <laughs> oh, no, I like, know yeah, yeah, is there a way we can convert those into through the titles of that record now yeah, and some of it's, some of it's coming back to me I, I tried to, I tried to dig out the, the the record I found it I found the um, unmixed track oh really yes mix that was interesting you know you could put that out as a record and no one would complain the balancing yeah. and everything on there is really lovely actually. really the desk mix yeah it's, it's excellent there's no uh, I was listening on a very small um, CD thing, uh, so the the bass wasn't too um, well defined, yeah. but it sounded you know, probably okay. Yeah, but the general balance, the, the drum sound, the um, you know, the, the position of the vocals and everything, you know, better mixes than a lot of records that come out. You know, it's really good. But of course, this is an, an old record for you now, so it's probably you know when you've got other ones in your head, and you know, you probably most people they like, they often like the record they did last the best and so forth. In your case, that's Ray and Lover, and that's a pretty fucking good record. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Nice cover on that too. I like the um the graphics. Oh, thanks. I did those. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Because that sort of thing doesn't always work, you know. Like yeah. Go, but, but but this did. It's, it's really nice, you know. And, and it didn't have that sort of more folkloric, sort of you know more rustic sort of vibe that some yeah. of the other covers had, which were fine as covers. But this was a this was sort of a yeah. A more modern idea or something and yeah, it worked actually yeah, really, really well yeah totally we're trying to pull away from that a little bit and you know with each record we're trying to make a like a little universe but um yeah that's right that's what i was trying to get at before about a record you know it's got to be contained you know have its own yeah you know its own sphere of totally of interest its own atmosphere and so it is unto itself you put that on and that's what you get from that record and you put, you put in a particular place. If you can get that sort of thing going, that's pretty bloody good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
most records are just a collection of the latest songs people have. If they can work them into a, a cogent whole, it's uh, sort of really, you know, uh, you know, is contained. Well, that's exactly it, and that's what we've tried to do with them, and and with each one make it not different just for the sake of being different, but different for the sake of the of the songs and what it's actually supposed to be about, or, you know, to come out the other side and go, oh, yeah, we're maybe slightly not necessarily better band but just slightly different each time just for the sake of us growing together if we were just going to do this it's like we have and just go okay well we've been repeating that same exercise for 20 years what, what's the point of this you know there has to be some growth i guess yeah it's true You don't, you, don't, you don't suffer from any, any problems, you know. <laughs> I you, do the best you, 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 you guys were going in there, all the sing, singers in your group. I mean, you've got about 85 different people in the band that can sing. You know, it's like, you know, but you go in there and you do these lovely vocals and they're really warm and they're perfectly in tune and, you know, and they just sit really nicely. I mean, I'm in awe, in awe of that, actually. I, I, for me, that whole thing is much more of a struggle. Well, it just seems to close out of certain people. Do you find it difficult to sing? You know, they get they get get down something that you actually like, and you go, yes, that's I've nailed that. That's what I wanted to do with it. Do you get, do you have that, or do you just think, oh fuck, I think I got it. I don't know, we'll, but we'll find out. No, you know? I'm, I'm the I'm the later there. Yeah, I just think, fuck, I think I'm close. Someone with a really fine tuned ear will tell me it was, you know, I was, you know, a fly flat or. I'm just a record fan who became a musician. I was never a musician who tried to get into a style. I just loved records and just tried to that's what I call, sing. You know, that's what I call myself. I'm a record, you know, music fan. Yeah. I try and put myself in, 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 you know, in context. Yeah. You know, and try, try and do something I'd like to hear later. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. You know, and try and fill the criteria that we talked about before. You know, having a decent tune and all yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. You know. And, and so I'm having a decent, you know, having a good beat. I got a lot of singles, you know, from over the years, and uh, you know, they're just little flower pots of, you know, anything from two and a half to four minutes or something like that. And I just yeah. sit over them, and I, you know, it's not necessarily about who's doing them at all. It's just a, you know, I just want to get in the middle, you know, immersed in this melody for a little bit. Your tastes are diverse. Gene Pitney, that surprised me when you said you're a fan. I love Gene Pitney, but I thought he was maybe a bit hokey. You know what I mean? No, I don't think Gene Pitney's hokey. I mean, like it, like most any artist, um, great or otherwise, you know, they've got a certain amount of rubbish in their uh, repertoire, but he's yeah. got a, a string of fantastic singles, hit singles, yeah. just so glorious. I mean, they're, oh. they're very mannered in their own way. They're, they're kind of corny also. You know, they're sort of often histrionic, yeah. but they but they hold together because it, it's done so well. They're, they're arranged so well. You know, something happens. You know, these songs are compressed. These arrangements. You know, there's no no flab. Yeah. Like with your music. You know, that that something happens. You know, and it goes on to the next bit, and that next bit's logical and it leads you somewhere else, and then suddenly it's all over in a in a couple of minutes. And you and but you've been through the mill, and then I've got stacks and stacks of forty fives. I I think. You know, of that way. You know what I mean? They're like little mini experience. Like 24 hours from Tulsa. Well, it's a great one. You know, I love I love all sorts of things. Uh, half heaven, half heartache. True love never runs smooth. Down without pity. Mecca. I, I really love this well, I didn't mention hardly you know, too many names or anything. I can't think of them now that I'm thinking about it. But you know, 
There's all these wonderful singers that I love. I mentioned Del Shannon. I always thought he was great. I saw him in Sydney once in, like, later in his life, not that long before he died, and that was wonderful. We'll give my regards to the, those who might remember me. Thanks a lot for helping us with Remember the River. It was a pleasure working with you. Oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have been associated with the band. I, bands, you know, created things that are, you know, worthwhile. And, uh, you know, that lives on. That's your stab at immortality, mate. <laughs> Putting, you know, making all these lovely records. It's <laughs> my stab, so, yeah. Sure. So anyway, um, well, take mm-hmm. care of yourself. It's good talking to you. Likewise. See ya. Cheers, mate. Okay, so that was my chat with Rob Younger, lead singer of seminal rock band Radio Birdman and The New Christs, and great record producer. He made Lost and Sold for Died Pretty, and he's produced a stack of other great records. So I guess the last thing we need to go through is just to tie off any loose ends regarding the recording. And as we said at the start, it was all pretty smooth sailing. We lost a day or two at the very beginning due to having to shift the room around. But other than that, it was pretty straightforward. I ended up doing a couple of vocals when we did the mixing at Wayne's place in Bellevue Hill because we ran out of time. And we did some other little overdubs back at the halfway house. The only thing I can think of that was that was unusual in the sessions was we had an issue with click tracks. It was the first time I think we tried to use them. And we've used them occasionally since, but not often. Elwyn Horton, who plays drums for us, he got stuck. And, you know, it's a funny thing when you get stuck on a song or something like that. It's just, I guess it's a head game thing. And some of those songs took a long time to track. And it was kind of, him and Wayne were, yeah, it was quite difficult. That was the only difficulty in the recording that I can think of. Everything else went down pretty smoothly. But the thing that sticks out isn't so much the getting stuck part of it. There's the fact that after that recording with with this click track situation he never struggled again I vividly remember it he was a good drummer going into that session and even better on the other side yeah he's a great drummer Jesus the last four records we've done whether we're in Nashville or wherever with all these intimidating players and people around he just puts it all down the whole record down inside a day with Benny I don't It's rare that they run over a day to put all the beds down. They're fucking amazing. He went in there, he had a tough time, and he came out an even better drummer, and he was good when he went in. It's a credit to him, really is. I often think of that. And as I look at the credits, the artwork was by Mark Fennell. The cover pick was by Dane Beasley. Dane took quite a few pictures of the band over the years. And the photo was taken at Brendale um, in Brisbane. And it's a cool pic of uh, the band walking through an empty allotment. Yeah, near some power lines. And yeah, Mark Fennell did the artwork. And this was before I was doing the band art. I was sort of deferring it to other people at this stage. And after this record, I just decided to do it myself. We also had some friends do some cool guest spots on the record. Uh, Wayne's partner, Tracy Ellis, who also plays in Knievel, did a cool uh, 
backing vocal on Factory Floor. And James Cruikshank from The Cruel Sea played organ and keys all over the record. We actually met him um, at the studio itself. He lived in the area. And uh, Fred Graham, a friend of the Fitzpatrick brothers, played uh, fiddle on a couple of songs, played that cool line on Sherry Ann and stuff, which was great. So that's pretty much it for the credits. But I'm just going to feature a song we haven't talked about before I finish up. I wrote this song when I was about 21 in Rockhampton and uh, I hadn't really thought about it in a while and uh, the band and I were touring at this time and must have been 2005 and we were staying at a shithole in Surrey Hills I think and the room we were actually in was like a like a bunker like underground it was pretty grim ten people in a room like a dungeon with bunks and weird murals on the walls, airbrushed, like people surfing and stuff. Like some kind of psychedelic purgatory. It's a weird memory and it's weird to say. But anyway, uh, I could hear in the kitchen banjo rolling through this line. And then Chris Dale kicked in singing. It sounded absolutely amazing. Concrete bunker, heavy reverb. And funnily enough, it was this song I'd written when I was 21. It was off an EP I made with St. Jude when we were just kids, my sister and I. And for some reason or other, Chris and Liam Fitzpatrick had decided to just play it off the cuff warming up before uh, we were about to go to a show. And it ended up we added it on to Remember the River, just last minute. And we recorded it just as I heard it that day. Acoustic guitar, banjo, Chris Dale on the vocal. And we had a new recruit by this time as we were overdubbing. Liam Bray, who joined the band and uh, played Ebo guitar on the song. Oh, and Ben Johnson plays a little Mellotron line on it as well. It was cool. And Chris and I played it acoustic over the years and it always works pretty well. It's been a solid little song for us. Even though it was written so long ago and it was resuscitated in a shitty hotel room 15 years after I'd written it. So here it is, Edge of the Pier. It's the last song on our second album, Remember the River.
edge of the pier and hearing them play it reminded me of a story where Rick Danko and Levon Helm and Robbie Robinson from the band were all talking about Richard Manuel and saying whenever they went to a show they never lacked confidence because they always had this great singer in Richard Manuel and uh, that was the same way uh, Chris Dale made me feel when uh, we were going to play shows no matter no matter how fucking crazy the shithole was uh, or how good the bands that we were playing with or vice versa um, rolling up to a show with Chris Dale you always knew you had the best singer and in a song like that he just makes it complimented of course by Liam Fitz's incredible banjo playing the lyric has that kind of romance and naivety that you can only have when you're 21 or a teenager but the way they play it just makes it so I hope you enjoyed it and uh I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Band Called Halfway. Take care.